the beginning and the end. To start off this end section, we're going to be talking about the rapture here today. The rapture. Uh, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, so if you want to open up your Bibles there, and uh, just to get a head start, I welcome you to do so. But our principle here today is very simple. Get right or be left. Get right or be left. What do I mean by that? Well, you need to be right with God. And the only way to be right with God is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The only way to be right with God is through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and accepting his salvation. And so if you are not right with God, then when this event happens that we're going to be talking about here today, you will be left. And uh, as, you, as you hang with me over the next couple of weeks, you're going to find out why you don't want to be left. It's going to be a terrible time here on earth during the time of the tribulation. And you don't want to be here for that. So let me encourage you to really consider this here this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can be with you here this morning. And Lord, we can open up your Bible and we can study your word. And Lord, you haven't... Uh, given us uh, uh, any uh, ideas, Lord, about, you know, just now and, and nothing about the future, Lord, but you've actually shown us what it is in the future that's going to happen. And as we consider these events and as we think about these events, Lord, I pray that you will help us to think about the decisions that we make today to make right now. And Lord, I pray that if there's some here today that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, that the day will be today that they would get right with you so that they can be prepared for this event. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Have you ever been through a ghost town? Now, for those who may not be familiar with that term, it's not a town full of ghosts. Okay? Uh, this is a town that used to be alive and vibrant. Uh, a, a, a town that used to be a, like a bustle town. And, uh, and, and there were you know, a lot of activity, a lot of life there. And as we think about that, um, uh, when, when something happens and, and maybe the gold is dried up or maybe a significant uh, uh, company has sort of, sort of uh, gone out of town or, or out of business or moved away, what happens is that the people begin to leave. And they begin to walk away. And maybe they, they uh, look for a better life. And as you walk down these towns of Main Street, you can see storefronts all over, you know, one after the other, and there's no life there. And the reason for it is because people have moved away that are gone. Most people in town has probably slowly faded away to go and look for a better life. You can go through and see bits and pieces of, of, of furniture and things like that, but there's no life there. This is sort of more like an eva a mass evacuation. This is a mass evacuation. Now, during the fire seasons here in Australia, we're familiar with this, uh, we know that uh, whenever there's a fire happening and people are in danger, that we have these mass evacuations and people have to leave very quickly. And if the fires don't take the buildings, you can actually go there and you can still see signs of life. They may have kids' toys out front, or you can go inside the houses and you can still see photographs and pictures and paintings. Or you can go to their refrigerator, you can see food, you can see food in the cupboard. There's a different feel about it. Whenever the Chernobyl, Chernobyl uh, nuclear reactor exploded, about 30-kilometer uh, exclusion zone was set up around the reactor, and there was a mass evacuation. 
And here are some photos of what it looks like today. And just uh, take your time going through those photos, if you will. Spend a few minutes on it because I'll just, I'll just talk over the, the photos while they're sort of playing so you can kind of get an idea of what it looks like. Um, here um, uh, are a few photos, but also uh, 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 Fukushima was another uh, major nuclear reactor explosion that happened, and there was about a 20 or 30 kilometer exclusion zone that was set up around that as well. They had over 100,000 people were evacuated. And you can still see, maybe even some, I know with these, uh, they've had looters come in and things like that, and so they've destroyed a lot of it. But whenever they were evacuated, you can sort of still see maybe signs of life as there was a mass evacuation. Now, reading up on these events and seeing the photos, it sort of makes me wonder, man, what it would be like when millions of people in this world are evacuated in a split second. Gone. I know it sounds a bit sci-fi-ish, but the Bible speaks of this very thing happening in the future. And it may be sooner than you think. This is what we refer to as the rapture. And prophecy and eschatology, which is a study of end-time events, is a, is a, is a broad topic. Uh, to go through every aspect of prophecy uh, would take really months of study to go through every aspect of that. And I really considered packing as much information as I possibly could. And I, I wrote my first sermon, and it was, it was packed full of information. And then I went back and I had a look at it, and I said, there's no way. There's no way. All, it's just going to uh, be confusing. It's going to be too overwhelming. And so what I decided to do instead was just focus on maybe one or two events in the end time. And we'll just focus on those events. Before we get into some specifics here, I want to show you a timeline you can see there's a rapture there, and there's a time of tribulation, which is seven years, and there's the first three and a half years of tribulation is called the tribulation. The second half of the tribulation is called the great tribulation period. And, of course, uh, then there's the return of Christ, and we enter into the millennial kingdom. Now, we're, gonna be, we're not going to be uh, addressing all of those things here as we go through this series because we just don't have time to do so, nor will we be discussing or addressing all the alternative, alternative views out there uh, we're just going to basically stick to simply what we believe. So this is how we're going to approach uh, this series here this morning. But many of you know that um, you know, we, we, we're from America. Uh, we, we grew up in South Carolina, and if you haven't been able to pick up on that accent, uh, you'll, you'll probably get it now. Uh, but while we're in the States, one of the things that uh, we really love doing is we love Christmas time. We love Christmas time. Um, and it's something that uh, it was near and dear to my family's heart. Um, and uh, it was very Christ-oriented before we you know, go and open up presents and things like that. We know it's not necessarily about the presents. What we did is we take the time as a family. We sit around uh, the, the table. We sit around uh, in the, the lounge room there, and we would actually read through the Christmas story. And we would talk about the birth of Jesus Christ and what it meant and how he was the ultimate gift for us. And so it was a very special time for us. But one of the things I noticed is that towards the end of the year, stores will begin to put out Christmas decorations. And they do that here as well. They begin to put out Christmas decorations long before Christmas is coming around. And they'll put out the garlands and, and the lights. And, and it'll start appearing down Main Street with all the banners and things. And, and wreaths will be hung on doors and in our community and our neighborhoods. And, and Santa will be popping up in different places uh, for that you know, special photo shoot 
that you can go and get your selfies sitting on Santa's lap or you can go and get your kids all lined up and, and uh, they can go and, and get uh, on Santa's lap and you can get those you know, perfect Christmas photo gifts that you can go and give to, you, to someone else. And so all this is taking place. But here's the thing. Before Christmas arrives in the States, there's another holiday that precedes it. And it's called Thanksgiving. Now, some of you are probably familiar with Thanksgiving. I mean, it's on movies and things like that. You can see it happening. And, and we still celebrate Thanksgiving at my house. And the reason why we do that, not because we think, you know, it's just an American um, a holiday, but we actually enjoy it because it's an awesome time for us just to sit around the table and really think about ways that we can be thankful to God. And we thank God for our salvation and what he's done for us, all the things that he's given to us. We thank God for our family. And also, from time to time, maybe even some of you have actually joined us for our Thanksgiving meal. And uh, we sit around the table and we thank God for you as well. Uh, it's just a time for us to really stop and to say thanks to God for all that he has done for us. So Thanksgiving precedes Christmas. Yet, oftentimes, we haven't even celebrated Thanksgiving before they start putting out the Christmas decor. I mean, look, I mean, look everywhere. Christmas is, is all around us, but we hadn't had Thanksgiving yet. You know, and this kind of confused me as a child because whenever we went to go celebrate Thanksgiving, I wanted to open up some presents, right? And so this is a little bit confusing for us. And so as um, one would walk through the towns and the weeks before Thanksgiving, we could see signs of Christmas not too far off. Now, you may be asking, you know, Dwayne, I thought this was about the rapture. What are you talking about? What's going on here? Well, I want you to understand that with the rapture, there is no signs for the rapture. There is no signs leading up to the rapture. We believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. It means he can come back at any moment. He could come back before I preaching here this morning. On your way home, he can come back, and he may take you to your heavenly home, which is going to be much better than your earthly home. So we don't mind that. But, we, but what that means is he can come back at any moment, at any time. However, there are some signs for the second coming of Christ to earth. Whenever he comes and he puts his feet on the ground, the Mount of Olives, when he comes to set up his kingdom here on earth, there are some signs for that. So as we see and understand the signs which tell us about the second coming of Christ and how it's getting closer and closer and closer, we realize that the rapture is even closer. Because it precedes Christ's coming to earth by at least seven years. And so, as we see the signs of Christmas, and we see the decor going up, well then we have an understanding that Thanksgiving must be even closer. And the same thing is true when it comes to the second coming of Christ and the rapture. Now I want you to understand that the rapture and the second advent, the second coming of Christ, when Christ physically comes to earth and stands on the earth, this is not the same event. All right, I know there's some people out there that sort of want to uh, put the two together, and I want you to be careful with that because it's going to really mess up your eschatology if you do that. All right, these are two different events. They're not the same event. They're separate events with different purposes. Uh, in the rapture, Christ will enter into the clouds and come for his bride, the church. And if you're here today, you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's you and I. All right, he will come for his bride. And then he will take the church with him into heaven to, to be with him in heaven. Now, when Christ comes back to earth, he will bring with him God's wrath upon the earth, and he will put down all enemies, and he will set up his kingdom here on earth. So I don't want you to mix the two up. Okay, there are different events with different purposes. 
Now, our focus here this morning is on the rapture of the church. Uh, This can happen at any moment. Remember, there are no signs leading up to the rapture. And the next event on God's calendar for the church, for you here this morning, is the rapture of the church. And we're not looking for Christ's return to earth. We're not looking for specific signs in the world. What we're doing is we're looking for him to come in the clouds waiting to receive us to take us to heaven. I like what one preacher said. He said, I'd rather see the upper upper taker than the undertaker. And I like that. Uh, I agree. I'd rather see the upper taker than the undertaker myself. So at the rapture, uh, only a few eyes will see him. And those are the believers. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, every eye will see him. And so remember, the angels told the disciples uh, that Jesus, as he was ascending up into heaven, that he would return in the same way that he left. And so he will come back physically. This is not a spiritual return. Again, some people want to say, well, this is a spiritual return, and it happened some time ago. No, hang on. This is not what the Bible teaches. Okay, this will be a physical return of Jesus Christ. He will ascend into the heavens and he, to a place where he says he has been preparing for us. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Think about that for just a moment. He, he, he ascended up into heaven over 2,000 years ago. But yet Jesus Christ took six days to create creation. And he's been spending 2,000 years creating a place for us in heaven. Can you imagine how awesome that's going to be? How great and wonderful that's going to be. Man, that's something excited about. It's going to be awesome. Heaven's going to be great. So the word rapture is not in the Bible, but it is an event that's found in 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is addressing some people who had some concerns for their loved ones that had passed away. And they brought their loved ones, they, they, they thought their loved ones were going to, going to miss out on the rapture because they thought whenever Jesus Christ would come back, if they're dead and they weren't alive, they were going to miss out on this. And so Paul goes to address this. And so let's have a read here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. So, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So first of all, what Paul does here, he dispels the believer's ignorance. He dispels the believer's ignorance. You see, they've been getting some wrong information here. And he says, don't be ignorant. Now, I must admit, whenever I was a Christian, I became a Christian. For a very long time, I really didn't have much knowledge regarding prophecy. Uh, You know, I knew some of the basics, but I just thought, you know, that's just sort of in the too hard basket. I believed in the rapture, and, uh, and so because I believed in the rapture, what happened after that really didn't interest me because I wasn't going to be here anyway. So what's the point? You know, uh, I've only got so much brain matter, don't want to get it all mixed up with that, right? And so uh, maybe, um, so, so I, was in, I was in that sort of that group that Paul was talking about here, the ignorance. And maybe some of you may find yourself here this morning also identifying with the ignorant. When it comes to prophecy, maybe you have very little knowledge and understanding of that. Or, or maybe uh, you find it confusing with so many different interpretations out there, and so you're not sure what to believe. So why study? Why study? Well, 
the one quarter of the Bible is actually prophetic. Think about that. One quarter of the Bible, a fourth of your Bible is actually prophetic in nature. So if you can imagine, if you don't want to study prophecy, just ripping out a, a fourth of your Bible. That's essentially what's happening. And so I don't want you to, to miss out on this. If you, if you don't study prophecy, then you're going to miss out on a quarter of the Bible. And, uh, and, and, and so I want to encourage you with that uh, because um, we need to understand this. We need to understand what's going on. I mean, I know there's enough good stuff in the Bible that you can go through and study and you really don't have to study prophecy and you'll never run out of things to learn because that's just the way the Bible is. It's living, it's powerful. However, we wouldn't be doing ourselves any favor by neglecting prophecy. Um, in fact, uh, we're commanded in Revelation that we are to uh, hear the words of Christ in Revelation. Those who have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit said to the churches. And so the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing to those who read and hear and keep the words that are written therein. So let me encourage you, don't be ignorant. Don't be afraid to study prophecy, because in doing so, you will be blessed. So here he goes and gives a word to the ignorant. Paul does. Paul addresses the ignorant. He says uh, there's some confusion about the rapture here. They are concerned that their loved ones that have passed on uh, that they may uh, uh, have heard some untruths that, that somebody has told them about. They may have been taught some things that are wrong, and so they may have to go back and unlearn those truths, the things that they thought were truth. And this is why verses like Acts 17:11 is so important, because Acts 17:11 tells us that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they went and listened to what the preacher had to say, and then they went back home, they opened up the Word of God, and they studied those scriptures to see if those things were indeed true. And so that is the same approach that I would like to ask of you here this morning as well. I want to encourage you to do the same thing because I want you to become a student of prophecy. Study yourself, the Bible, and see what your future holds. But the second thing he does here is to, he describes the believer's death. He describes the believer's death. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that have fallen asleep. The believer's death here is described as sleep. It's not just Paul who uses this term, but Jesus uses this term also. And he uses the, look at the example of, of, of Lazarus here in John chapter 11, verse 11. It says, these things he said, and after he said that to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now the disciples uh, uh, said to Jesus, well, if he's sleeping, why do you want to wake him up? I mean, disciples, I mean, Jesus told the disciples that, hey, look, you know, Lazarus, our friend Lazarus is sick and he's sleeping. I, I need to go waking him up. And, and the disciples are like, well, Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Why do you want to do that for? I mean, if, if the guy's been sick and he's sleeping, he probably needs his rest, right? You know, let, let, the boy, let, him, let him sleep, you know. Why do you want to go wake him up for? They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about here. And in verse 14, he has to go and tell them, hey, listen, Lazarus is dead. So they understand, Lazarus is dead. In fact, whenever Jesus finally arrived on the scene and he wanted to open up the grave, but he was told that, no, no, Jesus, you don't want to do that. He stinketh. I like the King James. He stinketh, right? He'd been dead for four days. But the point is that Jesus uses the term sleep in order to describe the believer's death. We see the example of Stephen as well. In Acts chapter 7, verse 60, it says, Then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, saying, uh, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, 
Notice that. He fell asleep. He fell asleep. Stephen is being persecuted for his faith. He's been going out there preaching Jesus Christ, and they didn't like, to hear, they didn't like what, what he was saying. They didn't want to hear any of that, so they go and they drag him out of town. And they drag him in front of a man named Saul. Do you know who Saul is? Saul later actually became a Christian, and they changed his name to Paul. And Paul is the very person who is writing Thessalonians that we are looking at here today. And so they bring him before Saul, and Saul holds their garments as they stone Stephen. Now, it says that he fell asleep now. Was Stephen taking a nap? No, of course not. He was stoned to death. And yet the scripture says that he fell asleep. Give you another example. David, in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his father and saw corruption. Hey, listen, normally we don't bury people alive. Okay, just because he's sleeping doesn't mean we can go and put him in the grave. Right? I mean, society sort of, looked, sort of frowns upon that. You know, uh, We get in trouble for that, right? We don't bury people who are alive. So obviously from the text we understand that David was dead, but yet the scriptures use the term asleep. Look at the example of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. It says, but now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the first fruits of those, once again, that has fallen asleep. Look at this verse again. Have a look at it. It says, from Christ has risen from what? From the dead. And therefore, he has become now the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Right there, it shows us that those who are dead in Christ are the ones that are falling asleep. He has become the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. And if you are a Christian here, death is like falling asleep. The early church had a Greek word for cemetery. And uh, you Greek theologians out there will, um, will forgive me if I butcher this, but I believe the, 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 term, the, the way to pronounce this is koimacheron. Koimacheron is the Greek word. And it actually means sleeping place or dormitory. So we can think of it as a motel. The same word for cemetery they use for motels and inns. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, one would expect to get up the next day when they're uh, in a motel to continue on their journey, would they not? And so here we have, uh, the, the, it exemplifies the believer's death here. Picture this, when one is, it, it begins to, 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 that is being buried and, and uh, they, they believe Jesus Christ is Savior and you go and you bury your loved one, it's sort of like putting them in a motel room where their bodies will wait for the resurrection. Someone may ask, hey, where's your loved one? Oh, they're down in the motel cemetery. How's that for a conversation starter, right? <laughs> one day... The Lord will return, and that body will be raised. Now understand that it is the body that sleeps, not the soul and the spirit. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So once we fall asleep, our soul is with Jesus, but our bodies will wait for his return. The point is that, that as a Christian, when we die, that our bodies are placed into the cemetery motel. And we can expect to rise again just like we would if we were to stay at the Backpackers Inn down at the beach. What a fantastic truth this is. Isn't that awesome to think about? I mean, what a great way to think about death 
for the believer. But notice also he defends the believer's hope. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, he says, Least you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring, him, uh, bring, bring with him those that sleep in Jesus. Again, I love that, that phrase, that sleep in Jesus. He says you've got to refrain from sorrow. Paul doesn't want them to sorrow. Yes, there's a time for grief and seeing that, that when your loved one is passed on. Yes, there's a, a, a time of sadness that, that you know you won't be spending any more time with them while they're here on earth anymore. But that's where the sorrow ends. And said we are to rejoice in hope. At least your sorrow is those who have no hope. It didn't say that, he didn't say that he didn't want them not to sorrow at all, but not to sorrow as those who have no hope. When a loved one dies, it's okay to grieve and experience sorrow. I mean, after all, Jesus himself wept. We see that. But there's a difference between when one sorrows with hope and one sorrows without hope. In fact, when I visit families that have had a death of a loved one, it doesn't really take me long to assess whether or not the person that has died was a Christian or not. Because there's two different sorrows. Their sorrow is much different. But one thing I like about Jesus is that he, had, he, he removed the sting of death. He removed the sting. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth to take the sting out of death. And those who have sorrow, when a loved one dies, they don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We know that death is not the end. In fact, it is just the beginning. It's the beginning of something much better than we could ever experience before. Now here's why we don't have to sorrow. Go back and have a look at verses 13 and 14 in your Bibles. Notice what it says there. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Think about this. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, is it too hard to believe that he has the power to do the same thing in your life and mine. This explains how Christ took the sting out of death. He changed death into sleep by his own death. And this, and this is the cause for us not grieving. Listen, I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of death. Uh, a teacher was having a conversation with some students in her class about this very thing. And uh, she asked the, the kids in the class, if, if, uh, if you were to die today, would you want to go to heaven? And all the kids in the class raised their hand except for one. And so she went over there and said, son, um, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And uh, he says, oh, yes, when I die, but I thought you were getting up a load for tonight. Didn't want to go right then. Hey, listen, I want to go to heaven when God is ready to take me. But I'm not afraid to go to heaven because I know that there are some things that are far more better than what we see here because of our hope in Jesus Christ. Notice Paul also discusses the believer's departure. In verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those that have fallen asleep. Notice here he speaks this as divine authority. If you look back and look at the verse, first part of that word, he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. 
He speaks this with divine authority. This means that, that Paul got his word from the Lord. And what that means, you know what that means? That means we can trust it. We can trust it because it comes from the Lord. They knew back then that it would be okay. they would be okay whenever Jesus came back, but they were worried about mom and dad that has passed away. They were afraid that if Jesus came and they were still, that then they were dead, that they wouldn't be part of the rapture. And so Paul tells them that they would not only be there, but they're going to have a place of prominence. Those who are believers in the grave will take first place in the rapture. They will rise first. Now you may ask the question, why do they rise first? Well, they got six feet further to go than the rest of us. I don't know, maybe. You know, they get a head start. This is a tremendous truth that these pe- people never heard before, or maybe they didn't understand. And so next, what Paul does, he goes and dissects the order of events here. And we see he does a, a chronological program of the rapture. Now follow along with me in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. There's going to be a return. There's going to be a return. And it's going to be the Lord himself that will return. Not angels, not the Holy Spirit, not the disciples. The Lord himself will descend from heaven in the clouds in bodily form. If you remember, as we already mentioned in, here in Acts, that Jesus was ascending up into heaven and disciples were looking at him. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the, the, the angels told the disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come. How? What's that next bit? In like manner that you saw him go up into heaven. We will see Jesus Christ come back physically. This is not a spiritual return. Also, there's going to be a sound. And it is described as a shout, a voice of an archangel, trumpet of God. These aren't different sounds, but a, but, but a shout like a voice and the sound of a trumpet. This is what we are to be listening for. And he may ask the question, well, how do I know if I have the right sound? How do, how do, how do I know if, I, if I've heard the right sound? Trust me, you'll know. It will sound like a shout, a voice from the archangel, a trump of God. If you hear it, you'll know it. If you don't hear it, you're in trouble. It'll also be a resurrection. There'll also be a resurrection. In a split second, the Lord will call all believers to himself, himself to share the glory of God. Uh, one, not one believer will be left behind. I, I, I love thinking about this. I, I do. I, mean, I think about you know, all my friends with disabilities. Those whose bodies are diseased. Bodies that are old and decrepit. And when they hear the sound, the shout, the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, their physical bodies will be transformed. Amputated limbs will reappear. Curved backs will be straightened. 
Wheelchairs will be left behind. Sores will be healed. Old bodies become young again. I'm looking forward to that one. But this won't be just a better you. This will be a glorified you. Your eyes will be able to see things never seen before. Your ears will be able to hear things never heard before. Your body will be able to do things never done before. I mean, think about it. As your body makes its way through the roof, and you join to meet those who are coming out of the graves, we are going to be changed in that moment in the twinkling of an eye. It says that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We used to have that up on our, in our crash wall in the church we used, to, we used to work at. You know, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There's not a baby that went home with a dirty nappy, okay? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. What are you talking about sleep here? Well, he just talked about sleep being death. You see, regardless of whether you are alive when Jesus Christ comes or whether you are a believer in Christ that has passed away, it doesn't matter. Whenever Jesus Christ comes back for the rapture, we will all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We see this demonstrated throughout the, the Scriptures. We see the example of Enoch. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had a testimony that he pleased God. This is kind of cool. Think about this. Imagine you're having a, a walk on the beach with God. And you're talking about events and things and whatever, whatever a person God talks about as they're walking along the beach. And then God sort of looks over at you and says, Hey, uh, want to come over to my place? Like, yeah. And then you sort of take a walk and you take another step and you take another step and pretty soon you're off the beach and into heaven. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be cool? He never tasted death. One day Jesus is going to take us to heaven and I hope and pray that I will go just like Enoch, having fellowship with my Lord, having a conversation with my Lord, talking to my Lord, and then in that split second, I'm in His very presence. What about Elijah? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. Then it happened. As they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared and horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah was talking to his student Elisha, and they were walking together, and he was telling him he re- that it was revealed that his, his day was coming to an end, and he was passing over his mantle so that Elisha continue on his ministry. And as they were walking and talking together, a chariot of fire with horses came and separated between them. And Elijah was snatched up like a whirlwind. He didn't die. He, didn't, he, he escaped death. What about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 4? He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one that was called up into the third heaven. Paul here is talking about himself in the third person. He says, I know such a man, whether in the body uh, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was called up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for man to utter. The the phrase there, called up, is the same Greek word used here in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's harpazo. 
It means to be caught up. It means to be snatched away or snatching away. This is what it's going to be like for us. And then Jesus himself in Acts chapter 1 verse 10, we've already mentioned that, but the angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was, who was uh, taken up from you will come in, in like manner as you've seen him go up into heaven. Now there was not a snatching away with Jesus like it's going to happen during the rapture, but he did leave earth and go up into the heavens. And just like we will do during the rapture, we will leave this earth for a better place. The word rapture is not in the Bible. Uh, the word means to be called up to another dimension. But we see examples and, and um, uh, types all throughout the Scripture. Now, this will also happen in the future, but it's going to happen at a much larger scale because whenever Jesus Christ is going to come back, He is going to gather all of His believers together. And so millions of people that have known Jesus Christ throughout the centuries all will be raised in one time. And it's going to be a day of reunion. It's going to be a day of the reunion. All of those that sleep will rise first. All the believers in the world living at that time will join them as they pass by. And there will be one almighty reunion of believers coming together in the air. And then we together in our glorified bodies will be, re be reunited with, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the air. And we will enjoy this experience together. I, I'm not really much into a lot of sports, just simply because I don't have time. I don't have time to follow a lot of sports and things like that. But there are a couple of sports that I do follow, and one I really, really like, and that's MotoGP. I really like motorcycle racing, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I follow it quite closely, and, and I, I do enjoy that. And really, probably, probably the reason why I really enjoy it the most is because the races only last about 30 minutes. And so, you know, I don't have to spend a lot of time. I don't have to go spend a half a day watching a game or watching a race in order to enjoy it. You know, 30 minutes is over with, and I can get on with other things. But I do enjoy it. And I like listening to the commentary uh, before the, the race and, and just hearing what's happening and what's going on. And when the race starts, man, I like to crank up the volume just so I can just feel like I'm there. You know, I can just feel the rumbling of the motorcycles and, and, and I can be there and just experience and, and, you know, turn the corners. And, and whenever they wreck, I can hear it scrape along the ground. I just love it. Love being there. And my wife will walk in to ask me something and she'll see that the race is on and she'll just shake her head and just say, never mind, and walk out. Because I'm focused, you know, I like, I like watching the race. But you know what I would find more enjoyable? If I had somebody there with me that enjoyed the race as much as I did. Somebody that we can sit there and, and we can, you know, talk about it as we go in the race and we can give our own commentaries of what's going on, what's happening, and we can all, you know, shout together and we can ooh together and ah together and, you know, uh, we can do all these things together. Man, I'd love to have somebody there that I can enjoy it with. And when the race is over, we can go back and rehash everything and talk about all the ups and downs of it. You know, we can go in and give each other a high five and discuss it turn by turn. Man, that would be awesome. That would be great. Hey, listen, guys, you better be ready. You better be ready. Because when the rapture happens, I'm going to be doing some high-fiving, right? And don't leave me hanging. Don't leave me hanging, all right? Well, it's going to be a time of rejoicing. This is going to be awesome. And I hope you're preparing for that. I hope, I hope you're, you're longing for this. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, it says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Notice this next bit. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We are to delight in this comfort. We're to delight in comfort. 
This is the same word as encouragement. We are to encourage one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another with these words can be read. Uh, the scripture can be read that way. A lot of people need encouragement with these words. We need encouragement. We seem to have lost the doctrine of God's plan for the future in many churches today, and we don't hear much about the rapture anymore. This is the hope for believers that we need when we face times of tribulation, when we face trials in life, and especially when we face death. We need this more than any other doctrine. This is the hope for the believer. You can't go through life without hope. You can't go through life without faith. If you don't believe that God has a plan for your life, then your life is going to be a miserable life. The rapture of the church and the coming of Christ is the most encouraging doctrine you can ever share with people going through trials and tribulation. Listen, we're going through some challenging times right now, aren't we? There's some people that are really struggling right now. But let me encourage you. Let's don't spend a whole lot of time focused on our circumstances. We have a hope right here. And that is a hope in Jesus Christ. And one day he's going to come and we're going to hear that sound and we're going to be raptured up. So how shall we live? Well, we should live looking for Jesus. In Titus 2.13 it says, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great and Savior Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it says, Then to wait for His Son from heaven. Listen, are you waiting for the Lord in heaven? The, the return of Jesus Christ is the next event on God's calendar for believers. So let's not get caught up in things of this world that we lose our focus. Don't get caught up looking for signs. We don't look for signs, we look for Jesus. And also we're to be living for Jesus. Every time the scripture talks about the coming of Jesus Christ, it also includes an admonition with it to tell us what we should do. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation that appears to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly lives, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came for him, who, who gave himself, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Some may say, hey, well, if Jesus is coming back, I can go and live any way that I want to. As long as I'm saved, who cares? Who matters? Well, hang on. No, you cannot. Here, when it talks about the return of Jesus Christ, it gives us an admonition that we better be living a certain way. We don't want to be ashamed when he comes. Listen, we know what it's like you know, as kids whenever our parents leave us at home for the very first time. We know what that's like. Uh, you know, our, our, our parents maybe have to go to work, and for some reason we have to be left home. And so sometimes, you know, as, as a kid, you know, we might go and say, hey, parents are home. Oh, yeah. So we can go and do whatever we want, right? And sometimes we go and do things we shouldn't be doing, right? Well, not your kids, but I'll speak for myself. We do things that maybe we, we can't do when our parents are there. You know, leave out the dishes or whatever, or, you know, see some things that we shouldn't be. We, we do things, right? 
But then when we know when our parents are coming back, what do we do? Oh, we get everything cleaned up. We get rid of all the evidence and things like that. And we sit at the, the kitchen table with our Bible open. So when our parents come home, they look at us and say, oh, praise Jesus, man. We've got a wonderful kid. He's awesome. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it great? Look at the wonderful kid that, that God has given to us, such a godly kid. And we're thinking in our minds, hey, you don't have a clue. But if we don't know when our parents are coming back, well, then we're less likely to do those things because we don't want to get caught doing what we shouldn't be doing. Because we know once we lose that trust with our parents, they'll never trust us again, and we'll have a babysitter for the rest of our life. So we don't want that. Sometimes we have the same mindset as well when it comes to the time of Jesus Christ's coming. We, we let things go. We want to deal with it later. We may say things like, well, I'll just deal with that whenever Jesus Christ comes closer, but I want to live the life I want to live right now. Or even some people say, well, whenever I get close to death, well, then I'll go and worry about those things. Then I'll receive Christ. Then I'll read my Bible. Then I'll go and pray. Listen, you don't want to be ashamed. But here's the problem. You don't know when he's going to return. You don't know when Jesus Christ is going to return. This is why you need to take care of things today. And you need to prepare for his coming. In, in, in San Diego, California, they had a lot of fires. And so one of the things they wanted to do was try to help with that. They, they come up with a program called Reverse 911. And so what they did, if there's a fire in the area, they hit a computer program, and it goes out and it calls everybody in the area, and it just says a message like, fire, fire, get out. But they were still finding that people were still dying. So they went back and did an investigation, and they found out that those people's numbers were not on the list. Now, how do you get on the list? I have no idea. But their numbers were not on the list, and as a result of that, they didn't get the call. When the rapture comes, can you be prepared? Absolutely. So let me ask you, are you ready? Or maybe I can ask it a different way. Is your name on the list? Is your name on the list? Are you ready? You don't want to be left behind. And we'll find out over the next few weeks why you don't want to be left behind. So let me encourage you to accept Jesus Christ today as your Savior before it's too late. Because He could return at any moment. You need to get right. Or are you going to be left? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. And Lord, we thank you for your return. We look forward to your return, Lord. God, I pray that as you open our hearts to your word here this morning, that those that may not be ready, Lord, those whose name are not on the list, God, that they would seek you out right here, right now today. And I pray, God, that they'll be willing to come and talk to one of the pastors or uh, fill out a card so that we can go and visit them. So they can be sure that their name is on the list and they can be ready for your return. In Jesus' name we pray.